Wonderful. Well, morning, church. It is uh, great to see you this morning. I confess I had an absolutely fantastic last week. I was with uh, 23 other pastors down at Hole in the Wall on the Wild Coast, and uh, we did a few spiritual things. We said grace before meals, and uh, we had one worship evening. Otherwise, it was just an amazing time, hiking, swimming, having fun, playing golf, just enjoying. Uh, and uh, it's such a privilege to have good friendships in ministry, to fill each other's tank, hold each other accountable, and just... Uh, enjoy life together. So I had a great time. Wonderful. Well, this morning, it is my privilege on name tag Sunday. So uh, I see all of you have got name tags on. What about you online? Mom and dad in George, I hope you've got name tags on. Tyler and Shantae, they watch from all the way from New Zealand. So if you guys are watching now, shout out to you. And uh, But I thought since we've been talking about strongholds and uh, what different strongholds mean, I thought I'd hit you with a question this morning. Are you ready for it? Is your name a stronghold? Think about that for a moment. Your name. Is your name a stronghold? Now, it's interesting that the Bible speaks about naming things. Remember Adam and Eve, when God created Adam and Eve, and he he said, now I want you to be fruitful, multiply, go out, fill the world, and then subdue it, bring it under dominion. And then he said, now Adam and Eve, your job is to go and name the animals. Which is interesting because God could have named the animals giraffe, elephant, and just introduced them to Adam. But he said, no, Adam, I'm giving you authority. And what it means to have authority means you have to name things that are under your authority. It says in Genesis 2, verses 19 to 20, The Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the wild animals. It's interesting that names come from authority with authority. So God named Adam, but then Adam named Eve, and Adam and Eve named their children. Moms and dads, you name your children because you have authority. They're under your authority. When a husband and wife marry, the wife comes under and takes the husband's surname coming under authority. It's God's design. Names are important. Here's a little example. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 25, if you're looking for a good baby name, this is not it. It says, please pay no attention, my Lord. This is uh, Abigail. She spoke to David. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. For some unfortunate reason, Nabal's mother decided to name her son Fool. So imagine your whole life, hey, here comes the fool. Ah, fool, what do you think? And lo and behold, he folly, stupidity, he messed up big time. His name influenced his behavior. I wonder how many people in jail are called innocent. Probably none. (laughs) Names are powerful and profound. My name, of course, is, is Brent. And you know when I speak, I mean, my wife has got a beautiful name, Kate, short for Catherine which means purity. And it's like powerful and profound. And some of you call John loved of God or Michael, mighty one in God's sight. My name means Brent. Well, Brent means steep hill. (laughs) So I'm not exactly sure, but what I'm talking about today is not just the name that you might have on your little label. Because sometimes we carry names that are not just the label we were given at birth, Brent or Kate. Sometimes we carry labels on the inside and those names 
can in fact become strongholds for good or bad hanging over our lives. I was pondering this and uh, I remember one of the things my dad used to say to me so often as I was growing up. It's like, son, you've got such potential. I just want to see you fulfill that potential. You've got such potential. You can do it, son. And and almost that word potential became like a a label for me. When I looked at myself, I, I began, I've got potential. I wonder what kind of label or name you might be carrying. Some are positive someone negative. I, I was sharing this chatting with a friend and, and he said, exactly. My dad kept on saying to me when I was a kid, he said, his dad said, you've got this son. You've got this son. It was just one of the things that stuck almost like a label on his life. And so now he's, uh, I mean, he's middle aged. He's doing extremely well. And the inside the label is I've got this. He's learned to be confident, overcoming. He can do things because the label that his dad seemed to put on his life, you've got this son. Some are not as fortunate. Some of you, maybe sitting here today, have a different kind of label that hangs over your life. For some, it's failure. For some, it's alcoholic. For some, it's rejected or ugly or good for nothing or druggy or dirty or weak or loser. I don't know. But what I would like is if you'd ask the Holy Spirit right now to begin to highlight to you I mean, I had to sit down and ponder this for a while, and then I realized, actually, there are some labels that I carry on the inside. Holy Spirit, won't you come now and reveal to us? And maybe right now, into your mind, some labels are beginning to drop. Some might be positive, some might be negative. The question today is, is your name a stronghold in your life? So, good news is that when God does something. When God starts something, it's very interesting how many times the first thing he does is change someone's name. Let me give you Old Testament and New Testament example. So God is wanting to raise up a people out of all of the earth. This is my people. The Jewish nation was born out of one man. His name was Abram. And when God called to Abram, Genesis chapter 12, it's a famous passage. He says, I want you to leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to this land. And he gave him a powerful prophetic promise. But then he changed his name. In Genesis 17 verse 5, God said, you no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. You see, up to that point, his name Abram means exalted father. Kind of speaks about him, personal success. And and Abraham was a successful man, but at that point, the label on his life was personal. You're a success. Well done. God said, no, no, no. I'm going to call you Abraham, which means father of nations. He went from someone about success to someone about significance, dynasty, legacy, When Jesus came, and Jesus, from Abraham came these 12 tribes from his 12 sons, Jesus comes, and one of the first thing he does is gather around him 12 disciples. And just like God changed Abram to Abraham, the first disciple that Jesus chose, he finds a man called Simon. Simon, the Greek name for for Simon is uh, is obedient, but the original Hebrew, and he was a Hebrew boy, was, was a reed. And you can imagine, I mean, we live here with the wetlands around us. You can imagine a reed in the wind. And he comes to Simon and he said, I want you to be my disciple. And I'm not going to call you a reed anymore. I'm going to call you a rock. Peter, that's what his name meant. And straight away he changed his name from Simon to Peter. And, And as he grew, 
He was probably swayed by popular opinion. He wanted to be Mr. Cool, always had something to say. And maybe he went from being a reed to being a rock on which the kingdom was established. Names are powerful. A name can be a stronghold in your life for good or bad. It can come from God or the enemy. And a sign of faith for us as followers of Christ is whose label are you living under? Are you living under the labels that the world has given you? Or are you living under the labels that Christ, our Lord, our authority has spoken over our lives? I want to give us uh, three examples this morning. Three biblical examples of people in scripture and how their names impacted their lives so powerfully. The first one took me by surprise. I've uh, been reading the Bible for 33 years or something, but I've never noticed or pondered this particular story. You're going to recognize the guy well. I'm going to talk about Solomon for a moment. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Remember, he'd committed adultery with her. The child she bore died. And now he comforted her and he went to her, made love to her, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. Who named him Solomon? Well, it says, uh, there we go. They named him. So his parents chose the name for their boy, and they said, hey, let's call him Solomon. It had probably been a bit of a tumultuous time with lots of anxiety and hurt, and here comes this new, let's call him Solomon. Solomon means peace, peaceful one. But then it carries on, verse 25. No, no, it gave birth, they named him Solomon, the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him. Jedediah. Isn't that interesting? The parents chose a name. Oh, we're going to call him Solomon. God sends a prophet. That child that you've just had, his name must be Jedediah. Jedediah means loved of God, beloved of God. So which name did they go with? Well, how many of you knew Solomon's name was Jedediah? Not many of you. Because throughout the rest of history, he's always called King Solomon. In other words, God had said, this is the name I want for this boy, loved of God. They said, no, no, he's our peaceful little boy. Now, interesting, I don't recall Solomon ever leading the army into battle. See, David, his father, was a mighty king, a warrior who'd extended the boundaries of the nations, killed Goliath. He was a mighty warrior and the hand of the Lord was upon him. Solomon was a peace lover. And as a peace lover... I know what that feels like. My mom and dad, they've been married 53 years, which is brilliant. I've never seen them fight. And I was like confused because I got married and had a fight on honeymoon. And I thought, dear God, what do I do now? <laughs> and, uh, and I remember chatting to my parents and they said, no, actually, my mom said she, my mom's one of those, those conflict averse people. It's like, so in the battle, I'd rather just let's not fight and just... And I'm like that. That's my kind of natural, I I don't like conflict. And I've had to learn that not all conflict's wrong. Sometimes we have to go through conflict to come out on the other side. Solomon's name was peace. And so instead of fighting battles, as the enemies encroached around Israel, he made peace. And the way you made peace in those days is you go to the king and you make a treaty and the king gives you one of his daughters. So he married Pharaoh's daughter. He married daughters of all the kings around, not because he just loved them, because he was a peacemaker. He compromised battles to live in a form of peace. 
And so the kingdom began to get squashed and squashed and squashed because he didn't like to fight because he was called peace. It got worse than that. He actually decided, you know what, I like all of these ladies around. Ended up having 700 wives of different people, different nations around him. Added to that 300 concubines. Now, for a man to have 1,000 wives, hectic, makes you think, whoa, 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 whoa. What was this man looking for? It's almost like he was looking for, in all of these wives, something that God had already spoken to him. You are loved by me. It's almost like he spent his whole life trying to find that sense of being loved by all of these women when God had already said, your name is Jedediah, beloved to me. And I wondered to myself, God, how different would the scripture, how different would the story have been if his parents, instead of choosing the name they wanted, had chosen the name God had said. Imagine his whole life, he wasn't called peace maker or peacekeeper or compromiser for peace or conflict adverse one, he was called, you are loved by God. I think the story would have been different. See, names are powerful and can influence our destiny and our behavior. Here's another example. In Philemon, or Philemon, depends on if you're South African or not, 1 verses 10 and 11, Paul writes this, he's writing this letter back to to some friends, because he'd met someone in jail, and in jail he met this young man, and Paul did what he always did when he was in jail, he shared the gospel, he preached the gospel, and this young man gave his life to Christ. And so now he's writing back to the slave owner, and he says, I appeal to you in verse number 10, for my son Onesimus. Now here, if you are pregnant at the moment, he has a great name. Okay, Onesimus, I think we should bring that one back. Because that name, Onesimus, actually means useful. He's useful. So I'm appealing to you for my son Onesimus, the useful one, who became my son while I was in jail, chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Isn't that interesting? So his name was useful. The useful one was useless to you. Why? Well, he was a slave. Obviously, through the decisions that he'd made, maybe he he got himself bankrupt, sold himself into slavery, became a slave to an owner, didn't like being a slave, ran away, which is an ultimate disgrace, and ended up in jail. So the very one whose name was useful had now become useless because of his bad decisions because he didn't know Jesus. But now look what happens. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful, Onesimus, both to you and to me. Isn't that beautiful? It's like here was God's destiny over your life. God's spoken prophetic words, put labels upon you, put something inside of you. This is what God has called you to. But sin robs us of that stronghold of the Lord, of, of fulfilling the potential, the prophetic call of God upon our lives. But the beautiful thing is the gospel redeems the very names, the labels that God has spoken over us. He had a powerful name, but sin had resulted in slavery and now jail. By the time it got to Colossians 4 verse 9, Paul's writing now to the church in Colossae and he says, he's coming with Onesimus, 
our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you, they will tell you everything that has happened here. Isn't that beautiful? So he has now a member of an apostolic team. This guy, whose name was useful but was useless, rotting in a jail, gave his life to Christ, was restored to his slave owner, but no longer as a slave but as a brother, and is now part of a translocal team ministering apostolically, useful and in Scripture, because that's what Jesus does. He takes what the enemy tries to rob and destroy, the labels, the prophetic calling, the destiny, and he robs us of it. I had a the sense of this little label over my life, potential, potential. I've got potential. To be honest, the problem was it actually became a bit frustrating because I was like 15, 16, going through those teenage years and, and sensing like, son, you've got so much potential, but it's like, for what? I mean, I could... I was doing fine at school, I was doing fine at sport, but there was a sense inside of me of, there's got to be more. Surely there's more. If you've been given potential to do what? And then someday I, I met a guy, and he began to share the gospel with me. But what gripped me was not so much, I'd heard the message about Jesus, but what really gripped me was the sense of passion in his eyes for this Jesus that he now served. See, up to that point, I'd always thought Christianity was like a religion, a bunch of rules. But as he was sharing the gospel with me, as I saw this passion in his eyes, I realized you've given your life to something way more than just growing up, starting a family, getting a job, dying one day, becoming worm food. This is like more. And in that moment, I realized this is what I want. And when he shared the gospel about how Jesus had taken our place in death, he'd raised from the dead to pay for our sins, to make us holy so that he can give us his Holy Spirit. And I remember clearly in that moment, the thought breaking into my heart. You mean the same spirit who created the heavens and the earth, this Holy Spirit that was inside Jesus can now come live inside of me. How much potential do I have now? Look out world. And that's why I'm like... Lord, deliver us from being such underachievers. Come on, we're full of the Holy Spirit. We should be changing the world. But I suppose my point is this. Outside of Christ, no matter what labels we carry, sin robs us of the power and effectiveness of Christ. But as we come to Christ and under his authority, he can turn those labels to his glory and for his name. Let me give you one more and then I'll land Many of you know the story of Naomi. Naomi was this incredible woman of God who went through a very tragic time. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant or joyful or blessed. And so she lived her life blessed by the Lord. She had a husband, she had two sons, and they walked in the blessing of God in Israel. A famine came and they left Israel to go into Moab just to stay alive and be able to harvest food there. Her husband dies, her two sons who've recently married both die, and verse number 20 of Ruth chapter 1, it says, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, don't call me blessed, don't call me full of joy, she told him, call me Mara, Mara means bitter, because the Lord, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. It's amazing how we can change the very labels in our own lives. Yeah, she grew up blessed by the Lord, joyful, full. Don't call me that anymore. Call me bitter because I'm a bitter woman. And sadly, sometimes we choose the own labels and and we speak it over ourselves and speak it over ourselves. 
Verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Yikes. To pick up that sense of resentment and anger and bitterness. And here she was thinking that she's got nothing. But she was wrong. Because if you know the story of Ruth, it's the most beautiful story. And and in verse 22 it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth. Now, Ruth was one of the Moab ladies who'd married one of her sons. The other daughter-in-law had left and gone back to her family. But here was this incredible young woman. Her name was Ruth. And do you know what Ruth means? Friendship. So here was a young girl who said, no, 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 no. My name means friendship. I don't even really know this God that you serve. But over her life, all her life, she'd been called, you're a good friend. You're a good friend. You're a good friend. And so now, Naomi, who's now wanting to be called Mara because she's bitter and she's broken and I'm just giving up. The one who was a good friend said, there's no chance I'm leaving you alone. Not in a time like this. You need a friend and I'm your Ruth for this occasion. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Isn't that amazing? It's like she had a label and I'm living by it. This was a godly label. You're a good friend. And in the moment... Under pressure, Naomi caved. Maybe my name was blessed and pleasant and full of joy, but I'm going to turn my back on that. I'd just rather give in to bitterness. Ruth, facing a difficult decision, do I go back to my home and my family and my old religion, or do I stick with this new life? Her name was friend, and she held on to it under pressure. No, no, this is who I am, and this is when friendship is needed most. I'm standing. And... The beautiful story goes on to describe how she met Boaz, this rich master of a farm. Turns out this rich guy happened to be a distant relative, and the distant relative had an obligation, but it became his delight to in fact marry her. And so she went from a slave to being married to the rich man in town, and then became the great-great-great-grandmother of King David, who was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
But if you've given your life to Christ, no longer under sin, sin will no longer be my master. Jesus, you are now my Lord and Savior. You get to name me. You get to rename me. And the Father says, this is my Son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. I want to ask you today, saints, if by faith you would take a new label, this is who I am, a son of the living God. The Bible tells us to all those who received him, John 1 verse 12, God gave the right to become children of God. Not born based on a father's will or family decision, but born of God. See, when we give our lives, when we open our hearts to Jesus, we adopt it into the family and the Father speaks over us, sonship. You are loved. You are, I'm well pleased with you. I believe this morning that God wants to break off some of those labels of the past. And my prayer for each of us, even now, is that the Holy Spirit will be identifying in our hearts, these are the labels that I've worn before, but no more. Labels represent authority. Repentance, when we turn from the world to Jesus, from sin to Christ as our master, there's a change of authority. I'm asking you today, have the labels of your life been changed? Sonship speaks of belonging. Love speaks of acceptance. Pleasure speaks about God's goodwill. Maybe God is calling you today to repent of holding on to the enemy's label for your life and allowing it to be a stronghold. Maybe it's time to submit to God's label for your life and let that become a stronghold. Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Got a couple of moments. Dianette, would you mind playing on the keyboard for us? Just, uh, if you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment. And Father, I pray right now that by the Holy Spirit, you'd begin to drop into our heart labels that have been defining our lives. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind. And the Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask of God who generously gives to all without finding fault. And maybe as you think about that, you might have some words, labels drop into your heart. Holy Spirit, will you show us, is this from God or is this from the world, from the enemy? Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, I shared about strongholds of finance and and a poverty spirit. And as I was pondering that, remember I shared that story because for me, this was a label. I'd always struggled with a sense of inferior. And then God spoke to me from that scripture. Remember in Matthew, look how... Look how the the Lord clothes the birds of the air, the grass of the field. Are you not much more valuable? And I remember in that moment, I felt God changing a label in my life from inferior to valuable to God. Holy Spirit, would you come and highlight the labels that need to be changed in our lives? That when we think of name tag Sunday, we think, ah, I had a name change. Maybe for some of you today, is the day for a name change. Come Holy Spirit. 
Father, we want to take authority right now over those labels that are not from you. And in Jesus' name, we repent. We confess them as sin. If we believe things about ourselves that are not in line with your word, that is sin. And we want to confess it and we want to break that right now. Maybe in your mind, you need to be pulling off some labels from your life and tearing them up, throwing them away. In Jesus' name, no more. And just as some of you wrote down on a little sticker in your way in, you, you wrote down your name, maybe in your mind you need to be writing down a new label. Loved of God. Friendship. Beloved. Child of God. Free. Holy Spirit, would you come and write new labels in our hearts so that we could begin to wear them as our identity. And Lord God, we... We surrender. A child doesn't choose its own name. Its parents choose its name. Father, you choose our name. We don't choose our own name. You choose our name. And we want to submit to that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have never received the name of child of God. And what the Bible says to all those who received him, speaking about Jesus, you've got to receive Christ. You've got to open your heart and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. God gives the right to become a child of God. And if you're here this morning and have never received Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never become a child of God, then the Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And right now in your heart, you're going to need to be crying out to God. Say, God, I need to be saved. Lord, I want to receive Jesus today. I want to open my heart, bow my knee and say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. Would you come and wash me and cleanse me of my sin? Jesus, will you be my new leader, my Lord, and I want to follow you. I surrender my life completely to you. Father, we worship you this morning. We thank you for your incredible goodness and grace. We thank you that you love us so much. May we walk in the name that you've given us. In Jesus' name. And Father, even as we go, we, we thank you so much that your gracious hand is upon us. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us all of the time. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name. And God's people saying, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you.